Coming up, a noir heist novel that traipses across Europe. A trip to the Antarctic with a compelling writer. Plus, our distraction of the week. I'm Mel. I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time. I've recommended the work of author Christine Mangan before. Her novel Tangerine is a noir thriller set in the twisty alleys of 1950s Tangier. It has two unreliable heroines and really stunning descriptions of the scenery, the heat, and the tension of post-World War II Morocco. Unfortunately, I was less enamored of her follow-up, The Palace of the Drowned. Mm. That one was set in 1960s Venice and again features the fraught relationship between two prickly women. She is very, very good at creating atmosphere and transporting you to the settings of her books. In The Palace of the Drowned, there's a devastating storm in Venice, and even though the story didn't win me over, I felt like I was right there, ankle-deep, in that deadly, cold, terrifying, rising water. Her new book is The Continental Affair. It's a high story set in the 1960s, and it begins on a train in Europe. Our would-be heroine Louise kicks off the action with these words. Pardon me, I think you're in my seat. And the end of that paragraph is this. Henri wishes suddenly that it were still early morning, that he were back in the Hotel Metropole, that he had more time. This is the story of Louise and Henri, two antiheroes, who meet under criminal circumstances and embark on an adventure that takes them from the Alhambra in Spain to Paris, Belgrade, and Istanbul with little forays of memory into Algeria and the English countryside. I'm reading this book right now, and I'm about an hour from the end, and I'm angry at everything that's keeping me from it. (laughs) Mengen has definitely transported me to these places. I googled so many things about Algeria, the port city of Oran, the fort of Santa Cruz, and I feel like our lives will only be complete if we go there to try Creponet. What's Creponet? It's lemon sorbet that was invented in Oran. Oh, all right. And in Belgrade, Louise eats chivapchichi and drinks rakia. Chivapchichi are those little delicious sausages. And rakia is like the homemade hooch. Yeah. Travelogue bits aside, this novel is giving me major Daphne du Maurier and Alfred Hitchcock vibes. Yeah, over the summer we watched The Lady Vanishes, and I kept thinking about that when you were doing the description. They definitely share some DNA. Both are very tense, the characters have murky motives, and there's a probably doomed love story. This one is The Continental Affair by Christine Mengen, and if you wanted to do a twofer— For Damsels in Distress on Trains, you could pair it with The Lady Vanishes by Ethelina White, which I talked about in our Trains episode. In 2017, a ship full of scientists set out to research one of the glaciers in the Antarctic. The glacier's name is the Thwaites Glacier, but some call it the Doomsday Glacier. Yikes. Yeah. It's about the size of Washington State, and if it melts, it could add two feet to the sea level all on its own. Wow. Yeah. No human had ever seen it up close. That's how remote it is. So a whole bunch of people thought maybe we should go down there and do some science. They all get on a ship called the Nathaniel B. Palmer. One of the people on that ship was Elizabeth Rush. She's a writer. She'd previously written a book called Rising, Dispatches from the New American Shore. That book is about how climate change is affecting the states. It was a finalist for the Pulitzer. 
She'd gotten an invitation to go on the Nathaniel B. Palmer and immediately said yes. She was then warned that she will be at sea for 60 days on that trip. She still says yes. When she gets to the ship for 60 days, crossing some of the roughest seas in the world to study an event that will probably reshape the planet, she is pregnant. Wow. Yeah. She wrote a book about that whole experience. It just came out. It's called The Quickening, Creation and Community at the Ends of the Earth. Based on the chapter that I read, Rush has written the book that I want to read about the Antarctic. She writes about the experience with details that bring it to life for me. She describes her clothes and how she decided what to wear. She writes about the bar she visited on the night before the launch and the people that are with her and what they brought for the trip. That list includes hundreds of bags of Yorkshire tea, (laughs) pounds of chocolate, and a copy of the movie Mean Girls. (laughs) And she describes the people in a way that feels literary, like her writing is just fantastic. And then she talks about the science with sort of only the expectation that the reader is curious, right? It is a nonfiction, true-to-life thriller with a strong literary bent, and I can't wait to read it. It's The Quickening, Creation and Community at the Ends of the Earth by Elizabeth Rush. That sounds really good. And I also am curious about reading it because there was a time when I was very into books about Arctic and Antarctic exploration. Yeah. But then I had to stop reading them because all of them were more about wealthy white men who wanted to secure their legacy for the future. So the idea of reading a book written by a woman now is really compelling. She writes about that in her research. She went to a nearby university library and pulled all the books on the Antarctic, and they are pretty much all about men rushing to the bottom of the pole to get there first and Mm -hmm. eating their dogs to do so and such. Yeah. And she was like, wow. Distasteful. Yeah, a little bit. Anyway, that sounds great. And now our distraction of the week. If you're listening to this on release day, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival wraps up this weekend. It started in 1947. I had no idea it'd been around that long. Yeah, me either. And it's since become one of the world's largest arts festival and one of the biggest ticketed events in the world. Only the Olympics and the World Cup attract more people. Huh. Yeah. The festival might be primarily known for its comedy, which is well represented with stand-up and sketch and improv, but it also hosts theater, dance, circus, cabaret, children's shows, streets artists, and increasingly musicals. There were over 3,000 shows this year. Wow. Yeah, and more than 45,000 performances spread over three weeks. Artists come from all over the world to be seen there. Some recent successes that have come out of the fringe include Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Fleabag, which started as a show there, and the musical Six, about the Six Wives of Henry VIII. That show went on to win a Tony when it went to Broadway, and it's currently touring through the U.S. Shows that were well-reviewed this year included a musical about NSYNC. (laughs) That's fun. Told from the point of view of Chris Kirkpatrick, arguably the least popular boy in the boy band. Aw, poor Chris. Yeah. The first scene of that show is on Christmas Eve 2009, and Chris is in a line at Starbucks in Hollywood recognized by no one. Oh, that's so mean. Yeah. The show is called Chris Kirkpatrickmas, 
a boy band Christmas musical. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah. The Guardian also enjoyed Shamilton, the improvised hip-hop musical. <laughs> An improv group takes suggestions of famous names from the audience, picks one, and then creates a Hamilton-like musical around, say, Lady Gaga or Nicolas Cage. That show includes a live band, and the cast makes up songs on the spot with harmonies, backing vocals, and choreography. That sounds amazing, and also like being in the cast would be terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the, the gift of improv, right? Yeah. Let's see what happens. But it is not all light and pop references at the Fringe. Another well-reviewed show is from a Belgian theater company. It's called Funeral. The Guardian described it as a show where they use their remarkable powers of invention and persuasion to create a deeply respectful and communal environment in which to allow the audience individually and collectively to grieve. That is a very big undertaking. <laughs> right? Five stars, said the reviewer. I am simultaneously attracted and repelled by that idea. The idea of collective grieving with a ad hoc community in a theater is, yes, just as you said, very compelling, but also, whoa, I don't know if I'm prepared for that. Yeah, which I think is where the best theater is, right? It's, Absolutely. It's got that don't touch the hot stove thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm, I don't know. If you are away from Central Scotland right now, you could make plans for next year's Fringe. At best, you'll see some fascinating and insightful theater, and at worst, you'll still be in Edinburgh. Uh, you could say hello to our friend Tom at Typewronger Books. You could enjoy a lovely tea at the National Gallery and then board a train for the Highlands. Have you been to the Fringe? Drop us a line and let us know about your experience. You can reach us at mail at strongsenseofplace.com. Visit strongsenseofplace.com slash library for more on the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and all of the books we mentioned today. Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself. Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon.